Coming up next, the bookending discusses how to read. My name is Jake. Today I'll be your humble and obedient host. Right there across from me, I've got the scholar who's a baller of reading, Brandon. How you doing, Brandon? Hey, I'm doing, doing great. Uh, Jake. Jake, that's right. Yeah. Huh. Jake, I am today the humble and obedient host. Right there on the other side of me is uh, an empty chair. Why? Why do you ask? Why? Yeah. Why? Why don't you, you ask to... why? 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 Because Jake? we're discussing how to read. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the people who know how to read are in the room. That's right. People who don't. People who don't know how to read are not in the room. We know how to read. We may not know how to host a podcast, but we don't. Probably not. But... I think you're doing fine, though. Thanks. Yeah, I'm might... doing my best. We might. So we might be able to do this without him. It just in general. Yeah, we probably could. I could probably figure yeah. this out. I think we'd be fine. Yeah, it'd be I all mean, right. We just gotta make him feel good, right? By <laughs> We we invite him back each, and we tell him. We have to pretend like we'd be no good at doing anything like this. But But really, I mean, what what does he do? He just is like, hey. Yeah, I mean, anybody can do that. We could ask Barney the. Let me say something ridiculous right now. It'll be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Now, (laughs) now, Brandon, true or false? (laughs) Yes. You like to toss around the old pigskin. Oh, I love to toss around the old pigskin, true. <laughs> <laughs> so what you do is you get a pig, you slaughter it. Yeah. And you you take the skin, you uh-huh. wad it up, and you and throw it around. Yeah, you, just toss the pigskin. You pig throw skin it around. around. You yeah. toss the old pigskin around. Yeah. What a... would you say to somebody who preferred to toss around the old pigskin like that instead of reed? Uh, oh man, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> this is a throwback. That's the very first, I think it's the very first episode. I think it's we the very did. first thing we ever said. It was, a, it was a really smooth icebreaker that we, yeah, that our humble and obedient host came prepared with. Yeah. <laughs> He's got so many great things that he asks us. <laughs> All those schmoop questions he continually asks. Yeah. It's not like anybody can just look those up on the internet. Yeah. Go to schmoop.com right now and find an article on how to read or we'll get rolling. Then he pretends to hate Agatha Christie, but we all know that he actually has a secret, uh, Agatha Christie stash at his house. You bet he does. Oh, He's got all. Agatha Christie posters. That's what I thought you were going to allude to. Yeah, I didn't really want to tell people <laughs> about that. The Agatha Christie shrine. As soon as you open the front door. He dresses like Poirot. He does. He's got a little fake mustache that he glues on. He can't really grow a mustache himself. Oh, yeah, but... he has to grow it. It looks fine. Sometimes it falls off a little bit, <laughs> but we just pretend not to notice it. Yeah, yeah. So, wonder how long it'll take for that uh, for his caravan to get here. <laughs> No bring idea. In, bring him, bring him from the institution. <laughs> sometimes the sometimes the the handlers have a little trouble getting him out of that little white suit they in. Yeah, we're really the only ones who can be safe not having that on around. <laughs> <laughs> what else can we say about old Nathan? <laughs> He's always on time. Always on time. Never late. Never late. Never never leaving us here. I'm sure people really. It's a lot harder than it looks filling up dead space. It is. You think anybody's noticed that Nathan's not here? Do you think anybody listens to this show because of Nathan? No, I bet I bet you anything our listenership spikes by like 200% next week. Yeah, all we have to do is say no Nathan this go around. Yeah. Everybody like, oh yes, finally they got rid of that jerk. Just us. If only every episode where Jake and Brayden just talking about how irritating Nathan is. I bet we'd have a lot of subscribers to that. Yeah, a whole show centered around the fact that... The Nathaning. <laughs> yes, we call it the Nathaning. <laughs> 
<laughs> or the unnathaning. The unnathaning. Yeah. The unnathaning of the booking. <laughs> <laughs> the longer he stays out of here, just the better this is going to get. <laughs> yeah, this is going to get better and better. Um, he loves to wear blue shirts. He does. He wears blue shirts quite a bit. He likes to talk about the shirts too. He's over yeah. there. He's wearing the blue shirt. He's wearing the the yeah. khaki pants. He's wearing the uh, the tennis shoes. Yeah, he, is, is that what he wears? He t- he wears those that mix of shoe that's like between a tennis shoe and a that's dress right, shoe. That black thing that he wears. Yeah, it's yeah. like yeah, it's a street shoe of sorts. That's like tries comfort, to it's live, a comfort shoe. Yeah, it tries to live in that dress casual yeah. space that's neither dress nor casual. Because everybody knows that black shoes are what you wear with khaki pants. <laughs> They may be a dark brown. They might be. Yeah. What else can we Brandon's say? over there. He's wearing the, the black Henley. Yesterday, he was wearing a white Henley. Yeah. I like to wear my Henleys. His white Henley was uh, yesterday unbuttoned, like one button, and Nathan made an awkward comment about his chest. Yeah. Or maybe he was unbuttoned two buttons, and so today, he's got it down to just one button unbuttoned. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, looky there. Hey. Hey. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're talking. Yeah, we've been going for a long time. That took a lot longer than you said it would. Hey, fellas. Hey, Nathan. Hey. <laughs> hey, listener. Hey. Will somebody catch me up? What are we doing? Hey, well, um, we were talking about how to read a book. Yeah. Did you guys introduce yourselves? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. I was the humble and obedient host. And oh, yeah. Brandon's scholar is a baller of reading. Okay, so you introduced yourselves. I'm glad. Yeah. Did, no? you, did nope. you have some chatter? Some, oh, yeah. We uh, had some, some chatter. Some banter. Yeah. yeah some chatter banter. and banter is basically okay. all that we got in. The requisite back and forth that people come to the book. The rock on tour. The rock on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a word. <laughs> that's a random word. Okay, and then did, did you move? So, so you guys hadn't discussed how to read a book yet? No. No, you're just in time for that. Okay, great. Well, what were you discussing when I walked in? How awesome you are and how much we love you. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well. You'll you'll hear it. I love you guys both. Oh. I think you're great. Oh, uh, you know, you maybe. Yeah. I was just thinking on my way over. There, two loyal, wonderful friends. I sure am glad that I have them. Hey, Nathan. Mm. Yes, Brandon. How about you let me edit this episode this time? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I didn't want to interrupt. Are you guys in the middle of something that are you we need to close? We need to close no. this loop. No, I think uh, we closed no. it. No, we're. I think we're good. Thank All right. You. You're entering and closed it for us. All right. Well, how do you read a book? <sighs> With my eyes. <laughs> this is last week. Did you guys talk about what we did last week? No, did we you didn't. Did do anything to actually establish this episode as an episode? Jake introduced it as this week, the bookening discusses how to read. Did you do one of those like coming up next yeah. kind of things? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fun. Yeah, he did. Did Jake do his impression of me? No. No. <laughs> Did anyone do any kind of an impression of anyone? No. No. Okay. No. Did you guys discuss my absence? No. I uh, only uh, with longing sadness. With longing <laughs> sadness. Okay. We still have a full bookings worth of actual content that we need to have that needs to happen though. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Okay. So. And maybe some banter. Maybe the banter wasn't that great after all. (laughs) (laughs) It's whatever it is. It's going in. It's going in. All right. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Uh, How to read a book. So last week we discussed discussed the philosophy of how to read a book, if I'm remembering correctly. And this week we were going to discuss the mechanics of how to read a book. Like, how do you actually do it? Yeah. Yeah. Sound out the words. You get a book. You have it in front of you. You crack that thing. You open it up. What do you do? You go to preschool. Yep. Then you go to kindergarten. Get hooked on phonics. Yep. Then you go to hooked elementary school. For me. Actually, mm-hmm. I didn't. I never tried it. Jake never got hooked on phonics. My brothers uh, did. 
I think I was hooked on phonics. I don't know. Were you hooked on phonics, Brandon? I mean, we did phonics in school. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I was hooked on them. <laughs> <laughs> what about cocaine? Yeah, when I got to high school, I was hooked on other things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we did cocaine. I don't know if I was hooked on it. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, okay, so how do you read a book? Serious question. I mean, what are the tips and tricks of the trade, you guys? I can ask more. more I, I have some more specific questions I will ask. Maybe I need to to get us started. But I'm interested to just open it up to the floor. I think it depends on the book. Yep. Um, I approach different books differently. Well, let's categorize the them. Goal, let's, so. let's come up with the, what, what are the different kinds of books you might find yourself reading, Jake? Well, for me, it's fiction for this show. It's theology. As a pastor. It, as a pastor. And it's commentaries. It's uh, maybe some biography, maybe some... So taking out commentaries because those are more... Taking out reference books of, of whatever stripe, I guess. Perhaps. Excuse me, sure. Unless you don't want to because you have something valuable to say about how to read a reference book. But could we divide it up into serious nonfiction and fiction? Yeah. That's... Do we need more than two categories or... Not for, not really for me. I mean... Yeah, not for me either, I don't think. The, there is a sort of third category, which would be like the occasional book that we've read for, say, Sound of Sanity, like the... Non-fictional self-help, or... yeah, the 12 Rules for Life or something like that, um, or a self-helpy type book in the in that vein. But you could almost say there's books that you read for improvement and books that you read for pleasure. Yes. Yes. And the books on the book in Ing would yeah, a lot of times be both, like Ready Player One improved Brandon's... Yes, life and life and just in general. Ability to throw books across the room yeah, and I have them good throwing arm after fall into that. trash cans. So we'll, we'll go ahead and talk about both. What, so Jake, you're you're saying you have different ways of approaching. How do you read a book for profit, not for money, but for for improvement? If it's theology, I read it generally for improvement. I read it with a pencil in my hand. Mm -hmm. A pencil instead of a pen. Yes, always a pencil instead of a pen. Because because I might need to erase. I might need to go back and change. I might. Uh, my thoughts on a book aren't something that I think should be set in stone, actually. I think I should be able to come back to a book and having matured, look at it a different way and erase or whatever, change, modify. See, I hate myself I and I feel like I should be punished and my immaturity should be set in stone. And so I use a pen. Yeah. Well, actually, I, the, that, was, that was the sarcastic way of saying a true thing, which is I both hate and like seeing... The way that I was processing a book earlier. Yeah, it I, makes me I feel don't... good a lot of times to look through an, an old like theology tome or something and be like, oh man, that was a sticking point for me or I couldn't understand this yeah. and for it to just... And, and to, you know, there's merit in, but giving, doing pencil gives you the option right. of keeping that and commenting on it at a later date or whatever mm -hmm. versus just having it be there and in the way and stupid. You know. Yeah, I agree. I think probably I still prefer to use pen because I just don't like pencils. I don't, I've never liked the way pencils feel. Mechanical pencils are much less annoying to use, but they're also just like I hate the feeling of a mechanical pencil more than anything in life. Like mechanical pencils are really annoying. Yeah, I use a mechanical drafting pencil. That's probably the best thing that you could use. Yeah. Like some dumb high school plastic mechanical pencil. I would hate that. And yeah. number two just gets dull too quickly. Yeah. Brandon, your Mechanical thoughts? pencils are a little dicey because... They snap. It's not just that. They can scar the paper. Right. Because they can be so sharp. So you need something that's a little bit wider and heftier, and you can have a, a little rounded out so that it's not scarring the paper. My thoughts? Your thoughts. 
take when I take notes, I would use a pen, but I see the virtue of using a pencil and I often used a mechanical pencil. Um, another strategy I've heard people use is they'll copy the book mm-hmm. so that they have a version they can actually write on. So that's, that's something I learned from Tim Bailey. I only yeah. apply it to commentaries. Really? Mm-hmm. So the commentary is something that stay itself stays virgin. Hmm. And then I, I mark up, I'll copy you know, the sele- the section out of the commentary, mark the crap out of it, and when I'm done, I'll throw it away. All of the thoughts that are useful that made it into the sermon will, will, will be in the sermon there. Right. Yeah. And I'll have a record of that. And I'll have a record of that, and I don't need that. When I come back to, if I were to come back to that passage, I copy it afresh, you know, and just let whatever was striking me at the time as I'm processing the passage and the needs of our church, the needs of our people, I'll let it hit me fresh, and then I'll have, you know, the the record of the previous sermon to go back to. And, and that keeps the that keeps it from getting cluttered and allows me to come back and that's with my own commentaries, but you know, part of why we do that too is we share a lot of commentaries. So you're not just going to mark up the the clear note church volume of such and such a right or mark it up in such a way that somebody coming to borrow what commentary I happen to have is going to have to deal with all of my underlines and notes and comments. Yeah, that makes sense. So there's the, if you're the type of person who's trying to actually build a library, mm-hmm. who then is a, a valuable library that you want to then maybe give to your kids or whatever, why, right. whatever reason you have a library, right? then you have to think through, well, do I want them to have my notes? Do you think the people who are going to take the books from me, are they going to enjoy having my notes in the book? Yeah. Are they going to want it to be fresh? One of my favorite things, and I can never find this quote, but a, a professor once told this story that everybody who ever loaned a book to Coleridge said that you would get the book back improved mm-hmm. because he would have all these notes in right. the margins. Yeah. And it was just fun to get his marginal notes. And so then that, yeah, I think that there's value to taking notes and notes that aren't going to disappear. To be honest, I understand, I think it's really preference. Do you want, are you the type of person who wants to be able to correct what you put in there? Then use a pencil. If you don't, if you just are fine with the mess, then use a pen. Yeah, it really depends for me on on the book. Like right now I have a copy of Thomas Watson's Body of Divinity that I happen to be reading, and I mark the crap out of that in pen. But it's like a seven-buck copy. I, I almost figure when I'm done with this one, I'll probably buy another one. And maybe I'll even keep this one, and it'll just be the record of how I happen to hit this particular book at this, particular this time. time. But it might actually be nice to have a virgin copy to use for reference in general. But it's one of those books where you want to underline every single thing. Generally speaking, that's that is a problem with Watson and Calvin. Yeah, those would be the two that I actually had in my mind. That if you're reading with a pencil in your hand and you think you're going to underline, you have to come in being very careful, or you're going to end up underlining the whole stinking thing. Yeah, yeah, it's really annoying. Actually, with Watson, it's just like I want to underline everything, but it's not doing me any good. Yes, um, that's not helpful. It's counterproductive. Which is why I've actually forced myself to start writing my reactions to things so that I can actually I can actually track what it was that I thought was so dang important about this underline yeah. since I'm since every other sentence is underlined anyway. Yeah, which is a good thing to bring up because people probably want to know what sort of notes do you take in the margins. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of things. One, I'll write my reactions like Here's just my thought I had on this. Another might be if you're actually engaging with the book. So a lot of philosophy and stuff that I had to read, I would have like little marks. I would have a question mark I would draw if I disagreed with something Mm -hmm. or just if I especially thought a a quote was just powerful or something I wanted to come back to, I'd do an asterisk beside it. So I had a series of symbols I would use, but then I'd also, 
try to write the questions I might have right, or the disagreements I would have. Um, another professor, when I was an undergrad, he would have us, after every two pages in a history text, he would have us write a one-sentence summary mm-hmm. of what we had just read, which was just a good practice for someone who's trying to learn how to retain what you've read. Yeah. And he, made it, and he would say, you need to try and do it without going back and looking at the text again. Just try to remember when you get down to that page. Okay, here's a summary of what I just read. And so that might be another thing you could do in your book to just help you exercise retention. Well, the thing about retention that I've learned in my many years, bitter years upon this spinning globe, is that a lot of times we don't retain because we don't learn in the first place. And so if I simply take a moment when I'm reading something to say, retain that, or take note of the fact, it's like when you're learning someone's name. The reason I don't remember people's names is because I'm in the middle of a conversation or I'm at church and I'm introduced. I really actually don't, it's not because I don't remember the name, it's because I never took a moment to plant the name in my brain in the first place. Yeah. It literally never entered my consciousness. So if, if I would just like take a moment to be like, this person's name is Paul, I'll remember it. You know, it doesn't doesn't take any greater trick than that. And mm-hmm. it's the same thing with books a lot of times. If I stop every two pages, for example, and say, in this history, the king of France did such and such. Well, there you go. I've got it. Yeah. I took a little mental snapshot. But if I just keep plowing through without actually making a note that that's what I wanted to grasp, then, yep. I mean, that's a very simple thing to say, but it's a very simple thing that I didn't do for a large portion of my high school education, certainly. Yeah, I remember when your mind is young and sticky, oh, and you can remember everything. Oh, for those days. Yeah, like you read a book and you remember, you know, what page a line occurred on and mm-hmm. you can flip right to it. You can imagine it, you can visualize it, it's photographic. You yeah. remember all the details, all that stuff. I lived in de- denial for too long about mm-hmm. <laughs> being past those days. There are two kinds of notes that I make in in books and serious nonfiction. And one's just sort of like structural mm-hmm. notes like, in this chapter, I will discuss three things. You know, I'll mark that. Underline each of the three. And then mark each of the three and put a little big, you know, one with the circle, two mm-hmm. with the thing, three with the thing. And then, you know. What the I do that with Watson a lot because he's like, here are the nine reasons why we should glorify God. Well, and especially and with the Puritan because he's going to go on for 100 pages. And it's going to be the giant block of text. So if you simply, it's like you're adding, uh, what's the word? You're adding formatting almost. Exactly. That, that just helps you doing. visualize it. Yeah, it's like pulling out and it's like, no, you can step back and my notes function as an outline. And then, it, you know, and then it's filled in because that's the way they, pro- they're, they're so linear often in the way that they process these things. But you can get, you can get lost in the minutia. They're never lost in where they're at in the flow of their argument. But it's easy for you to get lost. Yeah, if I'm not being careful, he'll be like, and point number two. And I'll be like, like, point what? number two, what was number one? Yeah. And then I'll yeah. scroll back like 10 pages. and Yeah. And, and so just having that and just understanding where you're at in the argument and where different points fit into the argument helps you understand then conceptually and just sort of grasp where you're at conceptually. So that's that's like one kind of marking that I'm doing in a text like that. Mm-hmm. And then the other kind is just like my, uh, this is really good, or remember this, or mm-hmm. what is he talking about? And you know, I'll write the questions or I'll have the arguments. I'll try to flesh it out. And, and that's something, these are things that I, I learned straight from Adler. Mm-hmm. You know, argue, argue with him. Mm-hmm. He uh, he he calls he calls it structural and conceptual note taking and doing both. You know, both making sure you grasp grasp the big picture and that your notes reflect that, mm-hmm. but then also just being willing to engage with the author and argue with them as you go. Yeah, ask the questions, 
think it out, write your thoughts, write what you're thinking. Well, and I'll find if I make an application, for example, or if I, sometimes if I rephrase something or put my own metaphor in there, those will be the things I'll remember the most, actually. Mm -hmm. It's almost, I mean, I don't want to get too relativistic or too weird about it, but what you retain or what I retain from a book is, it's almost like my brain writes its own book based on that book. And it just makes its own... And the books that I really it takes remember, on a life of its own. Yeah, I I write sort of my own thing. I don't know how to explain this, but well, you know what happens often is an author will say something, he'll make a point, it'll trigger a thought in your mind, it'll come to mean something to you, and it'll apply in a particular way. You'll have to reformulate it for yourself, and then you'll forever in your mind think this time that Chesterton mm-hmm. said that, or this time that whoever said this. Calvin, it can actually be disappointing to go back because it's like- It's like he never actually said that. No, he said the thing that triggered me he saying said it, that. Yeah, but that's yeah. what you remember. And it was all, it, maybe it was all there. The point isn't he said it. Yeah. The point is that's where you learned it. Yeah, you've, you've got a famous one of those that you always bring up. I forget what it is, but uh, there's some point that you always make on the booking. You've said yeah. several times where you're like, I'm not sure whether I actually, whether this is the guy or this is me. Yeah, Walter Benjamin. Yeah, his yeah. Book on, his book on- uh, Translation. Yeah. Yeah. Or his essay on translation. And I'm not, I know that what I feel like I got from that essay right. <laughs> has been very influential for me. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I just. What's well, even things like uh, uh, the a really famous ones, the the uh, Neil Gaiman yeah. right. quote, right? That everyone that, just assumes and, is and the that, Chesterton quote. Yeah. And that we have, I, I think at one point, thought oh, sure. said on this show was a Chesterton quote before we got to the bottom of it. Right. Yeah. No, we definitely did mm-hmm. i did i think yeah so we don't tell children fairy, fairy tales to teach them that dragons don't exist that, that teach them dragons are re- are real but that dragons can be defeated or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah it's that whole people and it's that attributed quote. to chesterton it's because he that's his very succinct takeaway from something random that chesterton said that triggered that for him yeah right he would be wrong to say he didn't get it from chess he says he got it from chesterton but also it's not a chesterton mm-hmm. quote it's a it's one of your metaphors that it was inspired by Chesterton, right. like you were saying. And so Chesterton yeah. says that all over the place without actually saying it that yeah. way. Right. And he even says that he, he uses that metaphor. It's just like this big long Chestertonian Thing. circumlocution and yeah. Gaiman made it into two sentences so that we could it could live on the internet forever after. Yep. Yeah. And so what Jake was saying about structure versus concept, that mm-hmm. sort of note taking. So for anyone who has to talk about a book you're taking notes on. Mm-hmm. That what I found helpful in grad school and in undergrad was learning the difference between a book that you really want to read to retain every word mm-hmm. versus a book that you're just having to read it because you have to talk about this book. And so then the sort of thing you're looking for are the talking points, the things you disagree with. You also want to be able to, like, you want to get the structure down. You want to know the general argument that's happening. Well, that's, yeah. And then so- also you want to read for the concepts that you want to bring up in class or whatever, because you want to have a general grasp of what's happening. Right. Not every book is worthy of all yes. of your time and attention. And that's that's what I was about to say. There are yeah. many, many books that are only worthy of a skim. And they may have good ideas or concepts in them, but yeah. skimming, reading the first and last lines of paragraphs, yes. yep. you, opening paragraphs and closing paragraphs of chapters, getting gists is perfectly acceptable depending on the book you're reading and the goal of reading it in the first mm-hmm. place. Yep. That's exactly where I was headed. Good. Yeah. And so, that's there are lots of books like that in school that you have to just be willing to... People get tripped up thinking that that's something you shouldn't that do. That it's cheating or something like that. No, but I guarantee you the best students are always the ones who realize... They're making value judgments yeah. about their time, about this book, about what it yeah. has to offer. 
And it's not a proud thing to do that. It can be. It yeah. can be a proud thing to do that. But often it's like, you know, you've got to weigh out the pros and cons. And often, you know, if you're in school, your professors will be honest with you about that sort of thing too. And they'll say- The good ones will. Yeah, the good ones will. They'll be like- The worst teachers are the officious, pedantic teachers that- You need to read every word of every line. Because there's some magical karma in reading every word of every line. That's not the point. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the point. And if you think that's the point, you're wrong. And that's true of every book. Yeah, I think that's true of fiction. I've said it before. I skim or skip Russian politics in Tolstoy- because I don't care about Russia. I don't live in Russia. You don't care about Tolstoy. I don't care about Tolstoy, actually. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's true. What Tolstoy wanted and what I want are different, actually, when I'm reading Anna Karenina. A little bit. We diverge on one point, which is that he thinks I need to know about Russian politics, and I think I do not. <laughs> and you don't. And, and I don't. perfectly fine, and people need to realize that that's okay. Yeah. And you're going to so run far, into listen, it I, I am probably, I, I'm the one who made the point and I'm probably the one who has the most internal hangups about that exact thing Yeah, in this room. Yeah, I can't. I I couldn't not, I had a, I had a hard time allowing myself to skim Russian politics in Tolstoy, for instance. It, yeah, I had hangups about that until yeah. I had a good professor as in, a grad, in grad school, actually. I was having trouble getting my reading done and he's like, well, your problem is you read every word. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what, what do you mean? He's like, isn't that the point? Yeah, he's like, no, no. He's like, you read. He said, what you should do is your love of lo- your love of books should be spent on the good things. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the novels that you want to read, great. Read every word of them, devour them. But he said these essays that I give you guys, the secondary reading. He said, read the first sentences of the paragraphs, get the gist of what's happening. And then once I realized that's okay, I started having better things to say in class because I'd actually get the readings done. Mm-hmm. You get the readings done, and you'd actually be a more efficient reader. You yeah. would. You would actually. Because you're scanning so much, yeah. Because you're just there for the points, the main points, yeah. not to be carried along by some essay that's dry and boring and stupid that you're going to get lost in. Yeah, you actually get what he's trying to say better yeah. than somebody who immerses himself in it. Yeah, and so it was actually the second step of what come I, away with actual yeah. articulate thoughts about it. The second step of what I would actually naturally do with generally essays or difficult arguments is I would do a general a first reading mm-hmm. and then you'd that. have to go back mm-hmm. and like start finding piecing it together. Mm-hmm. And I do this still with a lot of essays that are hard to understand and you get a general gist of what you think it's about. Mm-hmm. And that's the first and now I realize that's fine to just have that be a skim. Well I actually yeah, I think and then you can go back and you can say, okay, so here's the first sentence of this paragraph, here's the next and you can start generally structuring and putting the bones together. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a good way you can find out whether or not someone's worth reading anyways. Right. Because if the bones are there, you should be able to find them. And if not, then all you have is a pile of fat. Right. Well, let me say something controversial. I do that with fiction, actually. I do that with every book that we read on the book name because I find that narrative lust, if I can call it that, is so great within me that I sort of have to slake that first. Like, I've got to find out what's going to happen to poor Anna and Levin and everything. And then... This is why I actually don't take notes when we read a novel. Uh, sometimes I'll take, I'll, I'll, sometimes I will take a picture with my phone of something that I want to go back to and and explore deeper. But generally speaking, I want to find out whether Lizzie ends up with Darcy, and so I'm going to power through that thing. Yep. And you know, sometimes even get a little skimmy. I hate to admit it, but yeah, especially with classic books where I know that there's a lot of, again, this this might sound like sacrilege to people, but where I know there's a lot of free resources online to help me zero in on the things that I'm interested in. 
You don't close read everything. No, no, no. I <laughs> I book in. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, um, and, 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 and here's the truth. Every, anyone who tells you that they close read everything, mm-hmm. they don't close read everything. <laughs> Adler basically prescribes what, what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. He says the very first thing that you should do is you should, he calls it inspectional reading. Mm-hmm. He says you should skim it all. You should get in your mind a picture of the whole. Right. Yeah. You should figure out the outline, the structure, where he's going, what he's trying to do, why. Figure out even what's important and what's not. Figure out, assess the value of going deep or not going deep in right. the book. Yeah, I'm just looking at the table of contents, remembering this, because it's been like 10 or 11, 12 years since I've read it, but that's the very beginning for him, is like, mm. you go to the table of contents, you figure out the structure, you skim, you look ahead, and you do that with everything, mm-hmm. so yeah. that you can actually be prepared to read the book then when you come to the book. And right. I, I think I've said and this. To, and to yeah. value it, give it the value that it deserves. Right. You get done, done kind of skimming your way through Ready Player One, it's like, well, that was all that that deserved. And then, and then he's, you know, the next step after that, which he calls just the analytical reading, the very first thing he wants you to do is to pigeonhole the book, mm-hmm. to generalize, to classify it, and to decide what you're going to learn from this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which all this really means is just to be engaged right. with what you're reading. I think a lot of people, and we've talked about this before, they approach a book as though they're just going to absorb the mm-hmm. book by staring at the page. Yeah. Or just by trying to power through and not actually engage it. And all engagement means is paying attention to what's what the author's saying. Right. Yep. And if a part's dry, you can skim over it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. If it's not doing it for you, there's probably a reason it's not doing it for you. Some of it might be that you have to learn how. I right. mean, a lot of students when they first... So the the, the big Some of it might the, be you're lazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. the big caveat and the big exception to everything we're saying is when you read poetry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because poetry is such a different animal. Poetry demands that you pay attention to every word because you're paying attention to rhythm, you're paying attention to syntax, you're paying attention to metaphor. I'd be like listening to music fast forwarded. Yeah, yeah poetry is very different. And that's why a lot of people don't have patience for poetry. Right. But poetry does work at a different level. It's a different frequency. Mm-hmm. So you can't skim poetry. You can try, but it's not going to be the same. But here, here's the thing, then the necessary qualification for for any of these other books is that you had better... In your in your skimming and in your va- in your judgments about what's worth your time and what's not worth your time, you'd better make sure you actually know what the author is saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You'd you'd better not be dismissive of something until you know what it is you're being dismissive of. Well, and the sad thing about that is, I don't know if it's sad or not actually, but you really have to give yourself to primary sources for that. I mean, in other words, you really have to actually read the text of the book because you just can't rely on. Reviews. Reviews and, anymore no, or professors. I don't know if any. you ever could, but you certainly now. If you read scholarship on Jane Austen, as we've discussed many times, it they will it tell her so how much. she is a socialist, proto-feminist, blah, 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 blah. And she's just simply not. If you read scholarship on Calvin, same kinds of things. All kinds of garbage out there in Calvin scholarship. Yeah. I mean, to be the flip side also is that just because someone is loved by the left or loved by progressive movements. One of the big examples would be for a long time, I would not read E.E. E. Cummings mm-hmm. because he was so different. Right. But then when I actually sat down and read E.E. E. Cummings' poetry, he's mm-hmm. delightful. Yeah. He's amazing. So meaning that, like you're saying, I actually sat down with E.E. E. Cummings and read E.E. E. Cummings instead of what I just thought this straw man E.E. E. Cummings was in my head. Death, I think, is no parentheses. Yeah, man. So good. And he didn't even want his name to be spelled in that 
with a, all lowercase letters. Yeah, we just did it to him. We just did it to him. Yeah, I think I uh, to what Jake was saying, I always ask... I always ask what I want to get out of a book, and I'm not ashamed to ask. I mean, even with something like, I think there's a way of doing that with humility. You know, there's a way of saying Thomas Watson, for example, to take an extreme example. He probably knows better than me what I need. Right. But also, I'm just, maybe it's just I'm a lazy guy. I'm not motivated unless there's something in it for me. I'm a pragmatist. I always have been. It's one of the reasons I did poorly in school, frankly speaking. I have to know why I'm reading something. I have to know, like, if I'm reading a novel, am I reading this for pleasure? Am I reading this for edification? Am I reading it for both? If I'm reading Thomas Watson, if, if I'm just thinking... Well, listen, it's part of the burden of the author to convince you that there's a why. Right. Right? You need to know what he's saying. You need to know why he's saying it. You need to know why you should care about it. Right. Like, But even reading someone as great as John Calvin, if I can think, well, on this particular read-through, it's because I want to be able to discuss it for this uh, club if, or on this particular read through it's because i need to shore up my theology for such a you know i need to get a better understanding of church and civil government so i'm rereading parts yeah. or all of book four of the institutes mm-hmm. i think having those kinds of things in mind as mental hooks so that certain things will jump out at you and become more concrete is actually helpful even when approaching a, a sheer genius even when approaching someone who knows more about what you need than, than you do you yeah. do it's still sort of just having a purpose yeah. is going to just help you. Well, and that's why you should read broadly too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's why you shouldn't, you can pigeonhole a book, but you shouldn't pigeonhole yourself. Right. You know, you should be reading broadly across genres, across yeah. disciplines and not just be shaped like, you know, the the dumb homeschooler who just re- is allowed to read what only the things that he likes, mm-hmm. right? He needs to be disciplined and pushed beyond just his appetites. Yeah, just because, for and, example. And you need yeah. to be pushing yourself too beyond just your appetites. And you can come to a place in your life where you're, you know, 35 years old and you've got a job and you've got goals and you've got things to do and you don't necessarily need to spend your time reading a science textbook. Sure. Because, you know, for whatever reason, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that broad exposure, knowing what you're after and part of what you're after being to grow. Mm-hmm in your knowledge of God and of the world he's made and of the people in it. Yeah, well, speaking more specifically about fiction and the kinds of books that we read on the bookening, because we've been talking broadly and sort of emphasizing the nonfiction aspect of things. How do you guys, let's just say, what did we just read? We just read Persuasion. I uh, know we're about to talk about persuasion on the bookening. We, we just read. We just it. read. We just read Gatsby. Gatsby. How how do you guys approach a book like that specifically? Well, I think Gatsby is a good example because Gatsby is very literary, mm-hmm. and so everything that you might have ratcheted up to eleven or whatever, right? That you might usually that you might expect to run into with other novels. It's got a decent story, a plot, but it's got a lot of beautiful prose too. Mm-hmm. And so when I have an author like that, I try to give them the benefit of reading the beautiful parts slowly and maybe mm-hmm. even rereading the beautiful parts. So like even with Joyce, the dad has some gorgeous writing. Well, yeah. And if you're going to criticize Joyce, you should read him properly. Yeah. I mean, even if you're going to throw him across the room, at least read him properly until you get to the point where yeah. you're going to throw him across the room. And so all that to say, when you get to writing that's meant to be read slowly, I try to read it slowly and take it in and mm-hmm. enjoy what the author's doing. But that does I can't do that with every single sentence. And so a, a, a writer that tries to do that with every single sentence, such as maybe Hemingway, can kind of get exhausting. Right. Well, our goals with the fiction that we read anymore since we read it for this show are divided. Yeah. Right? We're not reading it simply for ourselves. 
Mm-hmm. We're not reading it simply to enjoy it on its own terms or anything mm-hmm. like that. We're reading it for that while also reading it with the deadline and with the goal to be able to discuss it in a helpful yep. way for other people. Right. And that changes the way that you can read. Yeah, no, it does. So, I, yeah, people shouldn't imagine me sitting in some quiet reading study, in, enjoying every single word and it, your jacket well, with it's, patches. It's, it's, I think it's oh, no, that's certainly wonderful. impacted our takes on on books. Oh, yeah, there's things that I would have enjoyed more if we if had, you had the luxury to take the been time. able to luxuriate. And I, I think actually last year Dickens was the perfect example of something that, uh, well, obviously we all three had some different takes on Dickens. Don't have to get into that, but... I, as we said in the Dickens episodes, imagine getting a little chunk of that every month and reading yeah. it. It would read so differently than trying to power through it for a freaking podcast. Yeah, that was, I think, the main difficulty that I had with it. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to cut Jake a ton of slack for oh, not yeah, liking Dickens. Um, for not being able to get to an a, th- a thousand page novel. Yeah, this a thousand page <laughs> discursive. There's a nice word, discursive tome. Yeah, you're sitting there talking. In a month during the holidays. Just, right. <laughs> And with Dickens, I mean, we don't want to get into Dickens. I don't get the sense that Dickens just likes to hear himself talk. Mm-hmm. I, I get the sense that he just wants to tell you a story. Mm-hmm. But it's the, the problem is, is it's like sitting and listening to your grandfather, who's really good at storytelling, tell you a story for 80 hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Grandpa. So, <laughs> and you really have to get the story read for a deadline or told yeah. for a deadline. So and maybe speed things up a little, Gramps. A lot of little side tra- trails. And with Dickens, it's hard to cut that out. <laughs> Dickens is a particularly difficult guy to just read mm-hmm. and skim and try for plot. Well, I will say, Brandon, I have a difficult time slowing down. I really do. There's something about me that wants to admire the thing as a whole when yeah. I'm reading it. And even when there's an absolutely beautiful sentence or a really snappy line of dialogue or just something to really focus on, I don't like to have to stop during my first read through of anything. So I pretty much always, even when it's a book I've read before that we're going mm-hmm. back to for the bookening, I will barrel my way through it because that's just to be personally fair, how I process I, things. I do it the same way. I'll usually reach the end of a chapter and then I'll be like, well, I want to go back and read this part again. Yes. Yeah. That was amazing. Why did it move me the way it did? And I will take little notes like usually I have my phone next to me and I will either snap a picture of a page when I see something I want to go back to or I'll just throw something in iNotes just like I'll dash something Mm-hmm. I, and if I was, you know, living in olden times, I suppose I'd have a notebook and a quill and I'd, you know, make a little note of, or a pen, I guess, make a little note of what it is I want to go back to. But then I go back and sort of do all my processing in another pass because I want to find out whether Jim and Antonio are going to end up together. I don't want to stop. And yeah. so even if I already know, I want to, I want to get the broad sweep of it. Uh, okay. I know That's they're going to stake Dracula, but let's find out. And I feel that instinct too, and I do something that drives my wife crazy, mm-hmm. which is I'll often, through things like Spark Notes or right. Wikipedia, I will spoil the plot for myself, mm-hmm. just because I love seeing what I, I love seeing the way an author tells a story, right? And that it's just because I'm really interested in that sort of thing. I, I think like, I should have done that with Dickens. Yeah, I like the mechanics and watching how they do it, and I like the sleight of hand. I like the way they build characters. I just like all the things that go into. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about all how to pay attention to that sort of stuff. That might be helpful. Right. But. So much for me with fiction. I'm sorry, did I interrupt? Were no, you? I was just going to. So the final thing is I will often ruin the plot so I don't yeah. get sucked into that because I remember the first time I read David Copperfield, I read it pretty much in a night mm-hmm. because, you know, you had to skim. The right. book is huge, but I just wanted to find out what's going to happen to David. This is amazing. Right. So that's a fun enough experience when it's when it's done well that I don't like to ruin it with spoilers. Yeah. But I understand the instinct. 
when it comes to fiction for me, I like to come in blind, yeah. start on page one, and just drive to the end. Well, and something you've often talked about, I don't know if you've ever said it on mic, Jake, but one thing that's kind of funny about you is you have a pretty good brain for plot mechanics. And so oftentimes if you're really enjoying a book, you'll be like, I don't want to talk about this. Let's not, I'm not going to think about this. I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to see the machinery until yeah. I'm done. You'll be like annoyed with yourself sometimes because you'll figure something out, like what the twist is or how it's going to end. And yeah. then you'll be like, well, this is dumb. Somehow or another, my my brain got trained early on just in plot mechanics. Hashtag goosebumps. Yeah, half it was goosebumps, and half of the fun of reading a book for me was figuring out what's going to happen beforehand and seeing it coming, and then getting to a place where you know I really just want to be carried along for this ride, and yeah, like actively working to not spoil things for myself by trying to be blind, trying to refuse, trying to not think, not talk about things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, I sometimes I wonder. If I shouldn't just go ahead and spoil it, so that that's not how I join the dark side. Yeah, I, I've so done. That's it. not how I'm engaging with it. I yeah. don't have to engage it that way. Because I, I'll tell people. Well, I guess I will tell people. I don't know why I started the sentence that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me tell you. That's what I meant. <laughs> I still think I get just as much enjoyment out of a good work of fiction knowing the plot beforehand as I would not knowing the plot beforehand. Mm -hmm. It's just a different sort of enjoyment, but I can still feel. If it's well done, I can still feel the intensity of the fact that Gatsby gets shot at the end. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But since I know it also, I can watch the way it's do he's doing it. So then I send you, you know, disappointed comments about it. Right. Because I see what's going on and I get disappointed. Well, that's one of the things that's always a part of reading maturely, part of engaging with any art maturely is beginning to see craft. Yeah. And I think there is a stage that probably every young person, well, every person that actually becomes a student of the craft goes through where everything becomes a little gray for them. Maybe this is just my personal experience, but there was a point in my life where I suddenly stopped enjoying movies precisely because I had learned to enjoy the craft so much that I suddenly couldn't see the forest for the trees for a while. It was worth pushing through that because then I got the forest back and now I can sort of, I sort of just have two brains running at the same yeah. time. Anytime yeah. I'm watching a movie, I have a brain that's just appreciating the story. And then there's another brain that's like, oh, that's so cool how the music interacted with the shots, interacted with the thing. Like, there's one brain that's going, oh, you know, Daniel Plainview is really moving me right now. And then there's another brain that's going. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis's acting is amazing. Yeah. And I've actually got and both brains pretty developed because I'm a movie guy, right? Book's probably a little bit harder for me to just switch between the two of them. Um, in some sense, maybe, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just positing that. But I think I, I can do it pretty easily. And, mm -hmm. you know, and so it is, it's still a good experience, but I have learned not to, I have learned not to post my comments about the ending of things in Slack because mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil it for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but if you want to be spoiled, hey. Well, it's. We all know the famous story of me spoiling. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. The, for whom the bell tolls. Yeah. Yeah, but the fact is, the way that I, it's a really interesting hand wrap you got going there. Nice <laughs> 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 <Hi>, job, Hellboy. <laughs> I don't know. For me, it just feels like part of the fun is watching it unfold, mm -hmm. figuring out where it's going while deciding if she's doing a good job of. The one time in my life where I've actually had to just read it because I didn't know what was going to happen and I couldn't figure it out was with the release of. Deathly Hollows. Mm -hmm. Anna read it, and then I read it the next night. We both read it really fast. And that was an interesting, yeah, it was 
Or watching like the uh, Infinity War. Right. You don't, you can't figure out what's going to happen if you're going and seeing it opening night with your son. You're just experiencing it with everyone else. And there is something, to, I mean, I understand the delight and pleasure of that. Uh-huh. Well, even it's just also- not, It's just not such an intense delight and pleasure for me personally that I don't also mind spoiling it for myself. Well, I think there's been so many books, there's been so few books that have ever surprised me because I've always had a pretty innate sense of how yeah. story works. I mean, not, maybe that sounds smug, but it's just like, I always, even no. if I don't read the spoilers, I are, I already, I always know how the book's going to end. I can make it less smug sounding. Yeah. I think that authors who in particular are only about surprising you in a way that you could have never expected, they're always in the end disappointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you want a sense of inevitability to your story. Right. Like what's really great about an Infinity War, just to have some pop culture references here. Right. Is the fact that once you go back and you see how it ended, it's like, yeah. That was the appropriate ending for this particular installment in the saga, mm-hmm. right? You want, if you're going to have the big bad like this, you want him to win. Right. So. I don't know yeah. if I agree with that assessment of Infinity War, but that's yeah. another, that's another podcast. It's, yeah. a good, well, it's still mean, it a all, good example of what we're talking it about. It all depends on how they, yes, yes, yes. the next installment. Yes. Yes. I might not be saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, audiobooks. Yes or no? Depends. Yep. It depends on what your goals are. You're not going to... Unless you are a very audio-oriented learner, mm-hmm. you're not going to retain as much. You're not going to be able to go back as easily. I mean, you can. There's like 15 second back or 30 second back. But, you know, it's easy to get sort of lost in your thoughts about a book while the book continues to be read to you. But yeah, there's a, absolutely a time and place for audiobooks. It's cut me copying to my own immaturity. But honestly, I can read a book and get lost in my thoughts like I will literally find myself reading forward and not paying attention oh, yeah. to what I'm reading yeah, sure. at the same time. And I realize that sitting down with a book and making yourself look at it and hold it in your hands, it forces a kind of intimacy with the material that listen simply listening to it while doing something else never will. But all I, of our all of our listeners are doing that all the time. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I think that again we are just talking and we're not we didn't sit down and script this out and devote. Right. But we do years. other podcasts where we do it's and true. we expect but we also account for that by giving space to breathe and right. catch up and bits of humor and and you know we do we work to bring the listener along and to make it okay for them to have spaced out for sure. periods of time. Sure, sure, sure. I think you just always have to know what you're doing, and there's no reason to be smug about any particular version of it as long as you're using the tool correctly. If you realize that you're looking through a somewhat murky telescope when you listen to an audio book that can be the most effective way to do your first pass of any book. And indeed, I do it with 90% of the booking books. Yeah, I mean, just um, being a pragmatist here, if you're a busy person, that might mm-hmm. be the only way you ever get to experience the story in the book. Sure. right. And if it's a book that, like a lot of what we read, it, it'd be, it's, what is, why is it any different than having your, like, your mom or somebody read you a book when you're a kid, right? It's a similar experience. You still get the Except book. instead you get a professional reader instead yeah. of your mom, which is... Better and worse. Yeah, better mm-hmm. and worse. And you still hear the story. Yeah, you're not, you don't have the freedom to pause it and go back and listen very easily, especially if you're like running it through the library or something. Right. Hoopla. It's really hard to listen to an audiobook in Hoopla. I'll have well, it if you have it on CD or something difficult. silly yeah. like that. I still borrow it a lot through Hoopla. Mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of the books. And then what I'll do is I'll go back and then find the sections I want to. Look at. Look at closely. Or, yeah, I will yeah. just, I will note even a phrase. Yeah. And I really appreciate the fact that we live in the year 2019 
and I can usually Google something if it's if it's if I don't have time to make a note of it, and I just hear as long as I retain a phrase or two of it, I can find it. You know, even if it's a book that's not in public domain, I can usually <laughs> find some reference, find my way back to it in the volume. If the internet is a bicycle for your mind, I'm not afraid to ride that bicycle as hard as I can to make my life easier, enable yeah. me to do podcasts, enable me to get acquainted with material like The Great Gatsby as quickly as possible mm-hmm. with as little pain and as little, frankly, as little effort as possible. For me, audiobooks are the books that I, I'm going to be most... I save audio uh, the books that are throwaway books for audiobooks, mm-hmm. which would be like... I will not listen to theology on audiobook. No, that would be pointless. I will admit that. And I generally speaking, I don't listen to our to fiction on audiobooks because I just enjoy the pleasure of reading it and interpreting it myself and hearing it in my own head and mm-hmm. bringing my own imagination to it. But if it's a book like a like a 12 rules for life or a, or something like that, you really just want the arguments. There's nothing that interesting about give me the audio, yeah. Give or... me the audio book, and I'll put it on, you know, one and a half speed or two, yep. mm-hmm. two times. And you know, the point isn't the point is the twelve big ideas and a little bit of it that sticks. It's not the pleasure of reading it. It's not the prose. It's not the anything. It's the what's this about and why and why should I care? And that's those are the books that I'll absolutely, I'll do that on a audible or wherever else Mm -hmm. yeah a book that at the end of the day you're going to merge probably with two touchstones from that you can use in conversation or teaching or whatever it is you're going to use them podcasting and that's it yeah you read 400 pages to get those two things out of it yeah it's it's like any malcolm gladwell book yeah exactly you know why would i bother reading a malcolm gladwell book i'll listen to it on audible get done way quicker get Mm -hmm. the two touchstone things out of it that are interesting and insightful and helpful and you can hear him read it in his reedy, annoying Malcolm Gladwell voice. I got to imagine this can be off podcast if you want to. I got to imagine there are some theologians that that's fine with as well. Like I can, I can think like John Piper. Sure, modern theologians. Idea, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean the problem I would. Yeah, but I don't read modern theologians, or I rarely, if ever, would. I. I mean. I, I know what you were saying. Calvin, Luther, you don't want to read those guys. No. Well, if if, if the point of reading those guys, those guys was to just get one or two ideas. I wouldn't be opposed to it, like yeah. on principle. I, I don't have a problem. No, but that's with it. never why you take the time to read them. You want if those you, little crystals of awesomeness that are going to stick forever, and the only way to I get wonder those. how long it would take to get lost in the weeds with Calvin, <laughs> trying oh. to listen to him on audio. It would be almost impossible. Yeah. That's yeah. You need to be able to step back and visually see where you're at. Yes, mm-hmm. and that's true of people like Calvin and people like Watson. I bet you could listen to Watson just fine, but and be carried along, but at the same time, that's not how you want to take Watson. Although, counter, fun counterpoint to that, those things like Body of Divinity, it's a bunch of, it's a collection of sermons. Right. So, orig- the original form that Watson intended them, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I just think it's funny to think that at some point, people had to sit there for three hours or whatever it was and listen to those. Yeah. Like, here are, here are the 10 points of Here's and the 10 reasons why God is glorified. Here's yeah, the 12 hash, reasons how Will you can glorify. about the way our minds have changed in yes. terms of what we can understand and not understand. Having literary minds instead of... Twitter minds. Twitter minds. Yeah. But you have to cop to your weaknesses, even your cultural weaknesses. I just, I have no patience for people who want to pretend like their brain... I mean, you can read amusing yourselves to death all you want and bemoan the state of the brain that you've been given that's influenced by using an iPad and you can go live on a farm somewhere like Thanos, but 
Then like you're a Thanos big purple spatial or, uh, space monster. Or or what's his face? Old MacDonald. Who else went and lived on a farm? Yeah, that guy. Say it. What's his name? Rambo. Does Rambo live on a farm in one of them? No, that guy who like types on his typewriter and makes his wife. Oh, yeah, that guy. Wendell Berry. Oh, Wendell, Wendell Berry, yeah. Yeah. Wendell Berry and Thanos. I mean, in fact, is I have a computer, I have a phone, I have podcasts. It's Wendell Berry. <laughs> yeah, I think Wendell Berry is Thanos. The whole thing's a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> any other tips for reading brandon no i think i mean i'm sure we have other tips oh i'm sure people want to talk about <laughs> when you read fiction are you looking for like how are you analyzing it right yeah i suppose we should talk about that should we yeah sure why not oh boy so what are you looking for when you read fiction should i answer this question Get i think it should. depend a lot but yeah why don't you start sort us out so a lot so the things that we've said earlier still apply you skim it you Whatever, you get the gist, you don't skim it, you get the gist of the story. Mm -hmm. And you want to know what the story is about, what the general plot. But then you can go back and start looking for uh, specific things. And one, th and you just, we have these categories to talk about literature for a reason. And you want to look for first plot. Mm -hmm. What is it about? Then character, what types of characters are there? When you're trying to look at these things, always look at relationships. Like, why does this character have this relationship to this character? How are they related to one another? How does the author use them? Probably one of the easiest examples we have. And booking history to understand this sort of literary analysis would be Levin versus Anna mm -hmm. and Anna Karenina. A lot of people just think the book's about Anna Karenina and they miss the fact that Levin's there as well. So why is Levin there? Well, it's obviously as a foil to Anna so that you can get an Anna as a foil to Levin so you can get other Point meanings. And counterpoint. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, counterpoint. Little Levin changes the whole loaf. <laughs> and you'll find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great, Nathan. <laughs> it's actually a t-shirt. A little leaven changes the whole loaf. With leaven's name? Yeah. You mean that is a t-shirt that exists? Or no, it little, should be a t-shirt. A little leaven leavens the whole... Yeah. A little leaven leavens the... They have like a loaf of bread about to get run over by a train or something. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, like a great t-shirt. the guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and you want to look at these things and then ask yourself questions like, why is the... And Jane Austen's another great example of this. Like, why do you have Louisa Musgrove? We haven't talked about it yet, have we? No, people will. So why do you have her? And then you also have Anne Elliot. Right. Like, and how are they supposed to relate to one another? And good authors are always going to have intentionality behind the characters they put in their stories. The character's going to have lives of their own, mm -hmm. but they're still going to have intentionality behind this character. Why is this character here? Mm -hmm. And so, like, that's one of the fun things with Shakespeare and, like, King Lear, trying to figure out why is the fool there? Right. And everybody's fooled as to why the fool's there, because mm -hmm. I don't think anybody actually knows. Right. <laughs> okay. So, you're, then you're looking for character. Then you're mm -hmm. also looking for themes. And this is what some people would call the great conversation mm -hmm. or the you know, the transcendental themes. Right. We're, I just like to we, call them themes. We, we avoid using the word <laughs> worldview, but this yeah. is where we, we almost say it when we talk about yeah. themes. So I, I just prefer using the word themes. Um, <laughs> we don't have to talk about the great themes or the transcendental themes because they're transcendental because they deal with things that every human has happened to deal with, such mm -hmm. as death and time mm -hmm. and love and emotion, so you can get very, I mean, you can start categorizing your emotions, too, that get dealt with. But these things that... You can only understand on Walden Pond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that you can only understand on Walden Pond. Actually, that's not a bad exercise. <laughs> Imagine to yourself what some navel-gazing narcissist who goes to live at Walden Pond would think that they would need to understand about the world. Make a list out for yourself there, and those are the themes you look for when you read a book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> and we've talked about them on the booking quite a bit. We don't get one thing I appreciate about our approach is we don't 
just like get hard nosed about it. And it's like, we think that's the only thing to say about a book is what theme the author. And this is where a lot of people make mistakes is because then you start thinking, well, Charlotte's Web, well, that, for example, I think this is a good example. Fine. E.B. White was, after he wrote the book, probably realized, you know, yeah, this book has elements of time in it. Mm -hmm. Now, was he sitting there thinking, I'm going to make time the great theme of this book so that I can participate in the transcendental conversation about time? No, he just realized that time is one of the great themes of literature. And so he wrote about time because it helps these themes. When you put them in your books, lo and behold, they help make your book Mm -hmm. give some weight to it. So the mistake people make is then reading intentionality into the author that probably never was really there, which gets kind of funny. The people do it all the time with Shakespeare. Like Shakespeare must have been participating in the great Renaissance conversation about time and about death and about and love and all these things. And you're just like, no. Yeah, understood the cultural, this is, say what? You're just kind of telling a good story. And it turns out good stories hit on kinds of themes that interest and affect everybody. And he he wouldn't have been thinking about it that way, which is just where people get really funny. Mm -hmm. It's like Shakespeare was just telling us this about time. And my my favorite example is when people try to then read it like back into the Greeks and the Romans. Yep. With like Homer, like Homer was doing this, and mm-hmm. he was like, you find themes of death and longing and all these themes that you see in literature in these great stories, because that's how you tell a great story, is by having these elements there. It doesn't mean like they were sitting there thinking, oh, I'm going to put an element of time in. And what are my contemporaries saying about time? If people read a lot of frustration that I get with certain approaches, Mm -hmm. that's one of the, I just think it's funny. And it's just not a helpful way of thinking about literature because we might read those themes in and find the themes. Mm -hmm. And it's helpful to see these themes, but you're wrong if you think that's how a good author goes about creating a good story. What's what George Lucas did? He went and he found the great themes and- I bet he didn't though, actually. I mean, I think it makes a nice story that he read Joseph Campbell and then retro-engineered the greatest space opera. But he probably, you know what? He grew up with those old serials and he just wanted to tell a story about guys with laser swords. And sure, did he read Joseph Campbell? Yes. Did, did it affect influences thinking? Yes. Did he mechanically engineer everything that's great about Star Wars? No, he didn't. No, the guy who wrote Flash Gordon did. Yeah. <laughs> Flash Gordon. Yeah, but that guy never heard of Camp Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. Um so you're looking for themes. You and symbols. All a all a symbol is is it's when you have for example the red handbag mm-hmm. in Anna Karenina is a famous symbol. And people try to figure out so what is the red handbag supposed to mean? She's always got no. this red handbag especially on the train. And so a, a symbol is any object in the story. It's not a theme. Themes are different. Themes are things like time and death and longing, those sorts of themes that you would have. A symbol would actually be a physical thing within the story that you think the author is putting meaning into. An object associated with the theme. Yeah. And um, and then, so what would be a, what would be an, oh, yeah, we just read a great example, the uh, green light Mm -hmm. in Gatsby. Gatsby. That is a symbol. And for Gatsby, it's a symbol. And then what's fascinating with a good symbol, like snow in the dead, Mm -hmm. is- by Joyce, right? Is you watch how the symbol shifts and takes on new meaning and changes meaning throughout the story, and that's all it is. It's it's a way for the author to both provide a backbone to the story. The green light it provides a landing place for Gatsby, but then it also allows you to see how does Gatsby look at it, how does Daisy look at it, how does Tom look at it, right? And it's fascinating to watch this symbol shift meaning and stuff. And well, the funny thing about that example, and I think it really goes for a lot of symbols, is 
if you find yourself looking too hard for them, I think you're probably off base because usually they're pretty obvious and usually the author tells you. Like, yeah. I, I don't know that I can 100% generalize, but Gatsby's a great example of there's multiple passages in that book where he's just like, it was the green light and Gatsby must have poured all of his longing and all of his thoughts about the past into the green light. Is everyone paying attention to the green light and everything that I'm Fitzgerald doing with my green light? Reaching out towards Towards the the green green light. light. Right. (laughs) When he finally held Daisy in his arms and went to the window and looked out, he was looking at the green light. Yeah. Yeah. And there's (laughs) other examples. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, but... And so... I guess what I would tell, and there are other things. If you if you're someone who reads, mm-hmm. there are other categories. Just go through a book and think. Okay, so what are the sort of things that I want to pay attention to? Right. Plot, setting. You can talk about setting. You can talk about all these things that are useful things to help you start to having something to say about the book. But a lot of times, this is the sort of thing you would teach high schoolers how to do with a book, mm-hmm. and whether or not it's the most mature way to then talk about a book later in life is another question. <laughs> well. What I, well, the, the two questions that I think we ask on the booking of every book, and we ask them in a million different ways, but I think whatever clothing we're putting on them, the basic bones are, what was the author intending here? We, we mm-hmm. think about intentionality. Like, why is it set here? Why is this character in here? Why is this? You can spend a whole podcast talking about why Shakespeare did something because it don't make no sense. And you're just like, well, I assume he did it for some reason. And I like to admit when those things don't make sense, because I think that makes for a more interesting, like, why did he do the fool? Like, let's actually, let's not posit some theory of social whatever about it. Let's just bang our heads against, Shakespeare was a dude like you or me, put this fool in, and then he didn't pay it off because he forgot or because he just didn't need him any, you know. So I think we ask of everything in a book, why is it there? And then we ask, what's the point? Which I think Adler tells you to ask, if I remember Jake's distillation of Adler from last week correctly. Just yeah. like, well, why, why, why should I care? Why? Okay. Jane Austen, you got a bunch of bumpkins from England bouncing off of each other relationally. Why? What, what does that mean to me? What, am I supposed to learn something? Am I supposed to laugh at something? Like, what did you hope would happen to me? And did it happen? I think this is helpful because maybe it'll show people that we actually do have these things in our mind when we approach a book, mm-hmm. but that maybe what they're getting for the book is more sophisticated than just a high school Here's the symbol. Here's the character. Here's what this character does. Here's how they're a foil to this character. I hope so, because you can Which, go on SparkNotes and you can get that stuff. Well, I mean, honestly, podcast you have to read those things stuff. with discernment. But if you yeah. want to know what the theme of Gatsby is, you can type into Google, what is the theme of Gatsby? And that's a great exercise, again, for high school people learning how to tackle Learning literature. how to read. Yeah. And if you're at that place... So all this to say, it's not embarrassing if you're at that place. You never had a good English teacher who taught you that. These are things you can do, and there are great books. I'd be happy, anyone who wants to email us, I'd be happy to send you. We don't have the patience or desire to be teaching a high school class, though. But if you want that, if you realize you've never had that before, write us, and I have recommendations for books you can go and read. It will give you all the categories you'll need. One great place and one book to buy would be How Fiction one would be how fiction works, and then another would be understanding fiction. Mm-hmm. You can go and look those ideas. up. So, but it's like learning grammar. It really is just it's it's storytelling grammar. And there comes a point where a student needs to stop thinking about grammar and they need to start thinking about writing. And mm-hmm. that's what we attempt to do with literature. We may not always do it 100% successfully on the bookening, but we're not just going to lay out the grammar of well, who's the protagonist in this story and. What what is the rising action and yeah. uh, what are all the themes that you see? What are the themes? 
So we're sort of assuming that you've already kind of thought that through when you join us. And we, you know, we think it through depending on the complexity of the work. But we're generally assuming that that stuff's either obvious or that you've already thought it through. And then the discussion starts with, okay, well, let's dig a little deeper and think what did that actually matter and why? Booking the Day was written and produced by Nathan Alberson, performed by Brandon Chastain, Jacob Menzel, and Nathan Alberson, executive produced by Jacob Menzel, Nathan Alberson. You can go to patreon.com forward slash the B-O-O-K-E-N-I-N-G and give us... B-O-O-K-E-N-I-N-G. Booking. 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 That's why how we became the booking. Switch songs on you there. Stole Brandon's song. I'm looking forward to listening to this intro that you guys recorded without me. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I'm sure it'll be very encouraging. Yeah, you'll love it. And I will feel very valued and loved. Remember, I'm editing the episode.